0: The copyrighted program created by Rio Grande. on the for Carl Harding. This is his for two days. Maybe murdered. all. Calling all owners of cars who are eager to find higher performance at lower cost. Your search is ended. For the radically new and different all purpose wheelbender that packs twice as many vital ingredients as are found in most ordinary gatherings is no farther away than the red and white wheelbender station in your neighborhood. Many motor are made with one main purpose in mind. Some emphasize the element of racing head gasoline for easy charging. Some stress straight run gasoline for highway performance. Others place the accent on crash gasoline alone for the starting stop driving in city traffic and mileage. Others call attention to stabilized gasoline for speedy acceleration. Some point to a higher gasoline content for anti-knock performance, and others both the special lead for maximum power. All of these ingredients as many as the three found in ordinary fuel are scientifically merged in Rio Grande's brand-new cracked gasoline. That's what makes it the revolutionary, all-purpose motor fuel that powers the cars of the men who drive the most under all kinds of conditions. The men at the wheels of your police cars, ambulances, and other emergency equipment. Try at night for them all. And you'll we'll agree with these difficult to please drivers of public serving automobiles and tens of thousands of discriminating motors that the new, all-purpose, run crack deserves every word of its well-earned title. The most highly recommended gathering of power and performance sold in the world. The story we are to hear tonight was taken from the facts supplied from the confidential files of the office of Sheriff James M. Throom of Tahoma County. And therefore, I shall assume to prepare a foreword for our program. It's a pleasure to join the scores of officers who appeared on Calling All Cars and to add my voice to the steadily increasing chorus of those who make it their business to prove that they're criminally inclined, that crime is a losing proposition. It might be a good thing, and it uh, certainly would be an interesting pursuit, to go back of the criminal acts of the lawbreaker to find out what makes him a criminal. But the work of the rival's law enforcement officer is so great that he has little time to do other than bring the criminal into court, where his guilt can be determined and his punishment measured. In this work, he expects, and I'm proud to say he usually gets, the complete cooperation of other law enforcement officers. Tonight's story will serve as a model for that sort of cooperation that brings home to the criminal the truth of the statement that crime of any sort cannot pay. <laughs> Of the bitterly cold winter evening during the open week of nineteen thirty-eight in the city of Red Bluff, California, in a small room, a tall, slender, and well-dressed young man was eating his meal leisurely. and suddenly a pretty brown-haired girl slipped into the seat beside him.
1: Uh, Would you mind terribly uh, if I sat here a few minutes you?
0: Hmm? Oh, no, of course I wouldn't mind. You Go right ahead. Uh-huh.
1: I suppose this seems kind of funny to you. I mean. Me just barging in and stopping to talk to me. Oh, I wouldn't say that. I'm glad you did. Honestly, I don't make a practice of talking to strange men, but
0: you look like a right guy. and Well, you look kind of lonesome, too. <laughs> I'm afraid you heard it right, Billy. That's just the part about being lonesome, anyway. But so don't tell me a pretty kid like you hasn't got lots of boyfriends around here. Oh,
1: none that I like very well. I work in a restaurant down on Main Street. A lot of fresh monkeys make passes at me, but I wouldn't go out with any of them. Not even if they sailed up to the counter in their own private yacht. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, what made you think I wouldn't turn out to be a fresh monkey, too?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Someone's intuition, maybe.
0: Okay. <laughs> you say uh, you work in a restaurant
1: down on Main Street, right? Mm-hmm. The Denver Cafe, you know? No, I know where it is, Yeah.
0: I hardly ever eat there, well. No. Well, um do you suppose you could get into the habit? Of eating at the Denver? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Sure, now that I know that you're working there. Mm -hmm. But uh (coughs) if the price is so good, what are you doing in this cafe?
1: Isn't
0: that a form of treason or something?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, not exactly. You see my sister works here. I'm just waiting for her to get off duty. Oh, I
0: see.
1: Um in case you might be interested, (coughs) my name's Emily. Emily? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a pretty
0: name. But uh, isn't there any more to it? Uh-huh. Swanson. Emily Swanson. Oh, it's nice knowing you, Emily. Well, um, you have a name, too, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. Seems to me I have. Uh, how would Claude David
1: do? <laughs> well, that's as good as any. Better than most, babies. Thanks. Not at all. And uh, it's nice knowing you, too, Claude. You know, <laughs> you're a slow
0: kid, Emily. I'd like to see a lot of you.
1: Thank oh, you.
0: I was rather hoping you'd say that. Well, there's one hitch. Uh, see, I work for a sheep rancher down near Corning. Uh, the place is close to 20 miles south of here, and... Well, I haven't got a car. That's going to make things a little tough. Oh, not necessarily. What do you mean? Well, if you really going to see me once
1: in a while, club, you don't have to worry about not having a car. You see, I have one. You now.
0: have? Uh-huh. Oh, swell. Hey, look, Emily. You and I are going to go places and do things. Uh, you furnish the car, I'll furnish the money.
1: We'll have some really grand times together, won't
0: we? Uh, you bet we will, honey. It's been mighty lonesome living in that little trailer house down there all by myself, never going anywhere or seeing anybody. It's been lonesome for me, too.
1: After I help out at home, it's all I can do to make the car payments. There's never anything left for
0: a good time. Well, that's all over for both of us, Emily. Oh, really? Now, you don't have to worry about money. I'll give you $5 a week towards wear and tear on the car and,
1: well, maybe help
0: with the payments besides. Claude, you don't have to. That's the bargain, Emily. Take it or leave it. Oh, uh, I knew
1: you were a light guy, Claude. <laughs> <laughs> Woman's intuition, you know. But here comes my sister. I've got to go now. I'm not sure. uh, Tomorrow night, 8 o'clock
0: at the Denver Cafe. Is that all right? I'll right, It's all right. Good night, Todd. Good night, Emily. And thus began a friendship that ran smoothly enough for the first few weeks. But on the evening of March 8th, began a series of events that was to change the picture completely. Pedro Martinez, the sheep rancher who owned the property of John of the rancher with whom fought David worked, had gone early to bed after a hard day's work. Suddenly, the savage barking of his dogs outside the little federal house awakened him out of slumber. <laughs> oh, what's the matter with the stock? Hello. Anybody home? <laughs> yeah. Who is it? What do you want? I'm trying to find Joe mendys camp. You know him? Uh, Joe Mendez? Oh, sure. How much will you charge to take me there? I'll take right, you for nothing. If you're Joe's friend, you'll find the man. Wait a minute. They're going to open the door for
1: you.
0: Hey, i to <laughs> a- <laughs> a- <laughs> Carlos, Bruno, see it to the uh, Come here, while let's put on oh. some of close. clothes. Oh, what's the matter? You got a gun? You bet I got a gun. Now, stick up your hands and come outside here. What are you going to do? I want your money. Hand it over quick and don't hold nothing out on me. I've got only an much luxury. Yeah, we'll find out about that. Turn around. Now, put your hands behind your back. Like this? Yeah, like that. When I get done wiring your wrists together, you won't be able to get into the mischief. You, you, you're not going to kill me. Uh, that depends on you now. Get back inside there. Hurry it up. Stand still while I go through your pockets. Have a look around. Well, Mr. Mister Minister, I got only a nickel. It's in the pocket of my pants. Oh, these pants here? The one thrown across the chair? Yes. That's all. The... Oh, now I see you in the light. I know who you are. Who huh? Well, if you're smart, you'll forget who I am pronto. Sure, take care of the shit in the next posture. You Yeah, sure. what I said? Shut up, unless you want me to use a shotgun. Oh, all right. I'll that, okay. yeah, I don't seem to find nothing but that blame nickel you told me about. Ah, here. I'll take off that wire. Good oh, gracious. It was scary. Ah, get into your clothes. And get your checkbook and a pencil. Remember, any funny business, and I'll blow your head off. Well, pencil, I... I... I don't remember where I put this. I. I oh, never sure? mind the pencil, then. Here's a pen and ink on the table. Put them in your pocket as soon as you finish dressing. See, si, senor. Uh, Larry, can you, uh, get a check cashed any place in Corning? Oh, I think so. My alarm clock says it's only half past nine. I think maybe they would cash one in the pool, Carl. Good. You ready to go now? Uh, I guess so. All right. Put your hands behind you again. I'll wire those wrists of yours good and smelly so you won't start getting oh, out of here. No. Please, Senor, don't use the wire again. It's the folks, bad. But... That's your tough luck. Get your hands behind you. Please, Senor. Uh, that's your car I saw parked just outside, isn't it? Yeah. Go on out there. Get in it. I'll do the guys. <laughs> do before we get there. there. All right, I guess I can take a chance on taking that wire off now. Oh, uh, uh, there. Oh, this skin is so sore, I can't touch it. Yeah, never mind that. Get up and write the check. You can see plain enough what you're doing from the headlights. Uh, I don't know, senor. My hands are so swelled up, maybe I can't lie. You write that check and like it. Make it out to yourself for 15 bucks and then endorse it. Now get going. Hurry it up. That pool hall will be closing before long. All right. Here's the pool hall. I'm leaving the shotgun in the car, but i got a revolver in my pocket, so will not try anything. No, sir. Go right up to the cigar counter and hand the guy your check. Remember. Keep your coat sleeves so you pulled down so I won't be asking no questions about them sore wrists. Mm-hmm. I'll be right alongside of you, so no monkey business, eh? Don't give me the money till so we'll we get back out to the car.
1: No. Good evening, boys.
0: Wanna have a little game? No. Uh, I just wondered if you would be good enough to charge for me a check. Why, of course, Pedro. I'll be glad to. You're lucky, sir. Oh, $15, eh? I think I could dig up that much for you, all right. The fellows is coming town to see a show. Yeah, we was a uh, pretty good one, too. <laughs> Full of wisecracks and good-looking days. <laughs> <laughs> well, here you are, Pedro. A five and a ten, did you See you, senor. One is not six. The... Good night, boys. Come in again. Okay. Now, get into the car. No, not there. Move over into the driver's seat. You want me to drive? it? It's taking me back to my camp. Now turn over the dough. you mm-hmm. mm-hmm, too, sir. Thanks. Get out of here. You should folks. That's a fool's stunt to tell the sheriff about this. You'll be a dead man inside of 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Don't forget that. On March 18th, 10 days after the robbery of Pedro, Sheriff Jim Boone of Tahoma County received a telephone message at his office in Red Bluff. Yes? Yes. This is Sheriff sure, Bailey, 10 I found here the ranch about eight miles south of Corny. the people who lived here found the body of a young man in one of the green fields this morning. Accident of some kind? No, no. The main case of murder. When I got here, I found the case was out of my jurisdiction. The body was found just over the county line in your territory. I'll stick around when you get here. Okay, and thanks, Bailey. I'll be down as soon as I can make it. Forty-five minutes later, Sheriff Bloom, accompanied by District Attorney Claire Engel, Coroner Arthur Cricket, and Deputy Klein, reached the scene of the crime, a distance of 30 miles from Red Bluff. It had been raining heavily for several days, and the ground was still drenched when the officers stepped from their car. Whoever killed this poor chap certainly didn't bother to move the body very far away from the edge of the road, Sheriff. No, oh, it looks to me as if it had been taken for a ride and then robbed. Yeah. Look at those deep ruts over there at the edge of the field, Mr. Engle. The fellow who killed this man and left his body here, sure had a tough time goodness his car out of the mud. The you trying to catch your eye, Sheriff. Or you want me to look at something? Oh. Find anything of interest, Doc? Well, I wish you'd look at his body closely, Sheriff. It doesn't appear to me that only robbery was the motive here. The five-boys got the right. There's hatred and revenge back of this. No one would a man to death with such savagely for any other reason. Any idea who the man is? Well, I don't think it's anyone I know. Maybe if we turn the body on its back. Yeah. Good Lord. It's Carl Hardy. He's that young fellow who goes around the county selling drugs and small kitchen groceries. Yes, I know him, Sheriff. Now I'm beginning to see the light. You mean that's the trouble over the girl? Of course. You Remember when our mother had him arrested, don't you? Certainly, but no one in her family could be capable of crime like this, Mr. Angel. Besides, he never really had it coming. He truly loved that girl. Yes, I know. As I remembered, the chief objection the girl's parents had to Carl was the difference in their ages. Carl's in his thirties somewhere, and I think the girl was seventeen. They built a lot of mountains out of that mood hill, too. Well, it's a possible motive, of course, but I sincerely hope it's only. So do I. This is going to be a terrible blow to the girl, Sheriff. You see, I happen to know that she and Carl were secretly married in Yuma, Arizona, some little time ago. Is that right, yeah? Well, no matter who's responsible for this young man's murder, they'll not get away with it, so help me. Sheriff, see these badly swollen hands and the deep marks on the wrists? It looks to me as if they'd been wired together. Uh Uh-huh. That can be mighty painful to the victim, too, Doc. I should say it can. Well, I can't find anything in the man's pocket, It Looks like it might have been robbery after all. That battered head doesn't. Robbing the man could have been done for a blind. Now, if there has been, uh, Oh, what's this? What? Find something, Sheriff? Well, oh, i sure did. Part of the murder weapon. What is it? Well, oh, it looks to me like the sack of a crab rifle. I just scuffed it out of the mud with a pair of my shoes. It's pretty heavy, doesn't it? Mm, you better tell it. Yeah. Trags a bolt action gun, and the stock is broken off just back of the loading mechanism. Well, heavy enough to do plenty of damage here. He's got a number of wounds. Any one of it could have caused death. I don't see a sign of a bullet hole anywhere on his body. Well, let's finish up here just as quickly as we can, boy. I want to get back to Red Bluff and start the wheels of this case moving. I'm going to find Carl Harder's murderer or murderers if it's the last thing I do on earth. Oh, hello, Mr. Engel. Hi, Sheriff. I just dropped in to see if there's anything new on the Hardy case. Well, here's something that may interest you. An item in a little day book that Hardy carried with him. There's no direct bearing on the murder of court, but it, it'll stand investigation. This item right here, sir? Yes. March 14, 1938. Sold Claude David, 45 automatic coat, $20. What's that all about? Well, naturally, I don't know what David wanted the gun for, but I do know that he's an ex-convict under parole to me. Ferreira is are not permitted to have guns in that possession. Where's this fellow, David? Where'd he come from? Well, yeah, from somewhere well, in the south, originally, I think. He was sentenced to San Quentin in 1932 for picking up a square with a gun in Murdoch County. He in 37 and came to this county to work. Suppose he'd have any line on who might have killed Hardy? Well, I don't know, Mr. Ingle, but I'm going to find out. As soon as Uncle Sheriff Muller gets back to the office, we're going to take a little ride and pay Claude David a visit. Just left the little trailer house where David lives, Sheriff. Yeah, that's right, Ed. That's David standing in the doorway. Pull well, up right in front there. Hello, Claude. Oh, good afternoon, Sheriff. Well, to come out this land from work connected with Carl Hyder's murder, I just thought I'd drop by. Oh, I'm glad you did, Sheriff. Uh, that murder was a pretty terrible thing, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. pretty bad, Claude. Shame it had to happen. Yeah. I can't understand who'd want to do a thing like that to a nice call like Carl. Well, most of us can't. You knew Carl pretty well, didn't you? Well, I suppose so, in a way. Had he been out here lately? Why, yes. Yes, he was out here the same evening. He was killed. Is that so? Anything in particular he came to see you about? Well, yes. I gave him a puff, and he came out to get it. Is that all he came out for? Yes, sir. He didn't come to collect for a gun, he sold you. Oh, no, sir. You're sure of that, Carl? Of course, Sheriff, because Carl never sold me a gun. Well, I hope you're telling me the truth. You know, it's back to San Quentin for you if you're caught with a gun. I know that, Sheriff. Honest, I'd rather die than go back to that place. Oh, I didn't buy a gun from Carl. from nobody else, either. Well, mm, that's what I just said. I'd ask, is all. Well, we'd better get going, yeah? See you later, Carl. I'm glad to stop by, Sheriff. Go on. Well, the boy tonight's buying that gun brother enough. What do you think, Sheriff? I think he's a cock-eyed liar. Had questioned him about the gun, Claude David came to the sheriff's room with a request to change his place in once. David's manner was nervous and sceptical, and Sheriff Hulme became half convinced that the youth might actually be Hardy's murderer. The following morning, Hulme called the parole board and received instructions to hold David in connection with the gun episode. You've uh, had a few days to think it over now, Claude. Have you got anything to say? Yes, I, I do want to tell you something, sir. Well, good. Let's have it. Well, when Hardy came out to my place that evening, A 1936 Buick sedan followed him. And when he drove off the road, the park in front of my trailer house, the Buick stopped and waited for him. Then a man got out, and when Hardy left my place, this fellow made him stop his car. Yes, and what happened after that? Well, then another man got out of the Buick and walked over to Hardy's car. He got in the driver's seat, and the two men made Hardy get in between them. Hardy's car went west toward the old Corning Road, and the Buick went east toward Highway 99. What did these men look like? Well, one of them was blonde, about 19, and the other was dark, and about 23. What time did it happen, Claude? Between 6.30 and 7 o'clock. You know who these men were? No, but uh, another car went by them, and I think the man driving it did. Do you know who was in that car? Uh, yes, Joe Mendes, a chief man out there. Well, thanks for the information, Claude, but uh, don't you think you'd better tell me about that gun now? Oh, I don't know nothing about any gun, Sheriff. All right. You can go back to your cell now. and We'll check those other stories. like I saw that. Eh? David told these men just a pack of lies. You're beginning to look that way. The distance from David's cabin to where he came out his car was shot is too far for a person to be able to judge the age and complexion of anyone on the clearest of days. Yes. And David wants us to believe he could do it at 6.30 in the evening. On a cloudy evening at that. Oh, that must be Gil Mendes' place over there. uh We'll know more about this Carson bull story in a few minutes, I guess. Uh, wait, split on it. There's a fellow sending some sheep. Maybe that's Mendes okay, sir. You, members? I see it. What is it you want? Well, uh, come over here a minute. We're from the sheriff's office. Sheriff's office? Yes, we'd like to ask you a few questions. Oh, whatever you want to know. Can you tell me where your car was during the early evening of last March 17th, Mr. Mendes? March 17th, let's see. Oh, see. Uh, my daughter, she drove to our home in Richfield that morning. and wasn't out here again all day. I see. Do you know a sheep herder by the name of, uh, Claude David? No, no, I don't. But there is something I think I'll tell you about you. Well, then don't hesitate to do it, Mr. Mendes. A couple of days ago, Pedro Martinez, who owns a sheep ranch near here, he came to my wife and told her a very strange story. We are close friends with Pedro's, and so I knew he would not lie. Besides, there were the marks on his wrist. Well, suppose you start at the beginning and tell the whole story in the proper order. You see, you see, of course. When Pedro first made my wife to swear that she would never repeat what he was about to tell her before he would say a word, he was very frightened. Frightened? At what? He was afraid Claude David was going to kill him. Claude David, huh? You see, one night after Pedro, he had gone to bed, his dogs woke him up with their barking as far as I'm concerned, Mr. Engel, there's no longer any question in my mind as to David's guilt in the hardy case. The wrists of Pedro Martinez have been bound with wire. So are those of Carl Hardy. Now, two pairs of wired wrists in a single month doesn't leave any room for coincidence. I agree with you perfectly, Sheriff, but will a jury? Well, I'm not going to leave that to chance. I want an ironclad case against this murderer when he goes into court just as much as you do. Pedro Martinez and other witnesses are waiting outside. I'm going to confront them with the prisoner. Mind if I sit in? Of course not. Oh, uh... Mr. Martinez, Mr. Phelps, will you, uh, come in, please? I wish you would let me go home, senor. Oh, you have nothing to be afraid of, Martinez. Claude David, if you up, has I've been here, he would kill me for sure. Claude uh, David is not in the position where he can kill anyone right now. Mr. Engel, this is the man whom the prisoner tied up with a wire and then robbed. All right. He made you write out a check, didn't he? See, si, senor. And I'm the man who cashed it for Pedro in my pool hall down in Corning. Gentlemen, I'm going to have David brought in here so that you may identify him. No, 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 please, senor. Now, there's no way that he can hurt you, Martinez. i give you my word. Now, what can he do to you, Pedro, with a bunch of cops all around him? I'll call David in. All right, boy. Bring him in. What? I want you to stand just inside the door here and let these men have a good look at you. Okay, sir. Is this the man who held you up, Mr. Martinez? Uh, I will... Oh, sure, that's the guy. He was in my pool hall with Pedro that night. Now, if you recognize him, don't be afraid to say so, Mr. Martinez. Si, senor. Excuse me, ma'am. Thank you, gentlemen. I won't detain you any longer. You don't think he'll come up to me now, senor? I not only don't think so, I know he won't. Goodbye, gentlemen. Thank you again. Goodbye, sheriff. Well, Clark, what have you got to say? I never saw those men before in my life. What? You mean to say they were lying? No, they're just mistaken. I wonder if you realize that what your position is, David. Every scrap of evidence is against you. There's not a single clue, not a single statement of witnesses that's been in your favor. Oh, why don't you confess? Why should I confess? Because there's nothing else left for you to do. Uh, All right. I killed Carl Hardy. And robbed Pedro Martinez after threatening to kill him? Mm. Yes. Well, what did you do with the money and the watch you took from Hardy's pocket? I didn't take anything from Carl's pocket. That's a lie, and you know it. Well, Well, there was a waitress I was going around with. I gave her money to help keep up her car. Helped with some of the payments, too, now and then. We went out together two or three times a week and had fun. And so you killed one man and robbed another just so you could take your girlfriend out. Did the girl know about this? No. Well, she just thought I had more money than I did. She didn't know anything about it. What do you suppose she'll think when she finds out? I guess she'll be sorry the good times are over. Well, haven't you any remorse for what you've done, Claude? Oh, sure. It does seem a shame to kill a man and then gets a little out of it. On the witness stand, however, David's detailed confession became a repudiated nightmare. He pleaded, Not guilty, Your Honor, by reason of insanity. But District Attorney Engel had other ideas. Right now you claim, David, that you don't remember anything. From the time you stopped the car until you found yourself standing by the prone body of Carl Hardy. That's right. If you couldn't remember, why did you think you had killed him? Because I had a gun in my hands and there wasn't anybody else there. And you claim you're too insane to know right from wrong, huh? Yes, sir. Why did you throw your gun away and burn your gloves? So they so they couldn't get me into trouble. Is that the reason you tried to get the blood off your shoes and clothing? Yes. And that was the reason you threatened to kill Martinez, keep him from telling on you? Yes. Then you knew you had done wrong. Yes. Then you do know the difference between right and wrong. Yes. That's all. Speak rest. <laughs> Just a moment, we shall present concluding facts regarding tonight's story. It's human nature when you find an exceptional value to tell your friends about it, whether it be a cafe that serves par excellence food or a store where quality is high and prices are low. And so, you folks who have discovered the superiority of all purpose Rio Grande cracks, obey that impulse to tell your friends about this great new motor fuel. The gasoline that is first in public service and should be first. In yours. David was found guilty, a judge sane, and sentenced to die in the gas chamber of San Quentin. Here's another story of the losing nature of crime. <laughs> I'm not thing. We we'll got cash by the number of the radio execution. I'm Your narrator, Frederick Lincoln, winning you good night for Leo Grande. At this time, Rio Grande will present the Bellingham, Washington, Tastes of the Wicked Queen. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.